0: you can turn to john's gospel in chapter 15 john's gospel chapter 15 and um some of you don't even need a bible for this you've read it so many times um, jesus said i am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser and actually um I don't know what word to put in there. Um, Your old King James said husbandman, which meant a lot a long time ago. Doesn't mean much today. Uh, Some modern translations put farmer, and maybe that's understood better. But it's a specific farmer, one that addresses himself to growing vines, grapes, grapes. And so we'll, we'll stick for the minute anyway with Vine Dresser. Then he goes on, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. And you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So abide in me, and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Um, I, I really want to talk this morning about where I stopped to explain. My father is the vine dresser, the farmer of the vines. And we'll go further than that. I I want to go further than we did last week. But if you were here last week, you'll understand this a little bit better. But if you weren't, it's okay. It stands on its own two legs. Um, But I have never heard a message on my father is the vine dresser or the farmer never Uh, in fact i've had people by the dozen who totally misquote this they say jesus said i am the vine you are the branches he didn't say that not until verse 5 he begins as the uh, the beginning of everything i am the true vine my father is the vine dresser and that just won't let go of me and, and so I want to look at it and see what it's saying, because when you come here to the the there's just a minute, this mechanical stuff is, What would we do if we had to go back to pen and ink? I don't know. One thing's for sure it would never run out. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Jesus said that the the father being the vine dresser stands at the head of the chapter as if to say that before you'll understand you being the branches, even before you'll understand me being the vine, you've got to understand my father is the vine dresser. He's the farmer. So this is of supreme importance, what the father does. the 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 role of the vine dresser is all encompassing i i don't know in fact i could get myself into trouble if i wanted to um i don't know how much of you people know about growing vines and um what they're used for um ever since we we had mr welch come along and destroy what grapes were intended to do uh, it's got kind of messed up but Um, The Bible is full, and I mean that. Wherever you go in the Old Testament, you keep stumbling across this. God likening his people to a vineyard and likening himself to the owner, the farmer of the vineyard. And now Jesus brings it right into the New Testament in the most up-to-date fashion. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. He's the owner. He's the farmer. He's the one who makes it happen. Okay, quickly. What does a vine dresser do? Uh, it's it's not just like farming. Um, it's it's a, it's an art. Uh, being a vine dresser, you you've got to know exactly what is going on here. Um, in the Bible, and again, I'm not commenting on this. I'm just quoting the scripture. It, it says that God gave us wine to make the heart glad that's in, in scripture he said and also oil to make your face to shine and, and so he says he, he gave us wine to make the heart glad or another word in the hebrew of course would be rejoice which is to party and to spin around and leap in the air for joy and, and so whenever you read again it speaks of God having his people as a vineyard and he is the one who creates the vineyard and and makes it grow and and then it says and the end result of the grapes and the wine is to bring rejoicing to the heart of man that's behind it when you you read it that's the goal that, that he's talking about so what does the farmer do? He's the one who has the know-how, and that's about as good as I can say. Wisdom would be another one, I suppose. But he knows his vine. You see, um, not all vines are the same. Uh, You can grow a vine in your own backyard and get miserable grapes and sour wine. Um, It's an art to know the root, to know the root uh, of the vine, You get vineyards that may have a thousand vines, but they all come from the same root because it's that root. There are many of these vine dressers that came from Europe to America and they came smuggling the root over in their coat because they knew what that root could do. They knew the kind of produce in terms of the grapes and the taste that it would have. I'm saying this because this is what a vine dresser is. He's not just the guy who goes with a hoe and, and gets rid of the weeds. This person knows the root and he selects it for its value, its potential, where it's going to go. It's it's not a chance seed that happened to drop on the property. Uh this this has been carefully chosen and once it's chosen it is cared for. He he watches over it almost like a baby. This is his most precious vine. In the world of vines, that one root could be worth thousands of dollars. He's watching over it. He cares for it. Uh, Of course, uh, getting rid of all the bugs and everything else goes with it, but the daily watering, the pruning, and then it has to be lifted up because, you see, a vine left to itself will crawl along the ground and, and, and the grapes won't grow. And so the vine dresser is the one who cares for it to the point of de- making sure it's lifted up, and it's got a trellis if necessary to climb on. You see, because a vine, the branches of a vine, and you might really put the whole vine into the sentence, that it's the the weakest. It's not a tree. Have you ever seen a ever seen a vine? It's it's. I mean, because it branches. We'd almost call it threads. It's just a thin, helpless, weak thing that would just flop on the ground and crawl wherever it's going to go. If you're going to have a grape out of this thing, you've got to lift it up. You've got to care for it every day so that in its weakness it's made strong. That's that's the whole idea. And always there's an end goal. As the vine dresser is giving all of this care, to the vine he's only got one idea in mind and that is the harvest he's waiting for the fruit that will appear on those branches and what he'll do with that fruit it's the end goal that's the important so you see if there isn't a vine dresser there is no vineyard because vines would just grow anywhere but you get no grapes out of them Um, and if you do get grapes they're no good we We had some right here on the the ranch. I got quite excited. We had a a vine a grapevine growing the, the grapes um were miserable things because they just i mean they just grew and we didn't know what to do with them um no the, the, without the farmer, let me say there is no vine there is no vineyard without the the vine dresser there's no fruit on the branch which means if there's no fruit on the branch, there will be no wine at the end, which is the end goal, and therefore nothing will ever be carried to the world. Now, if you know anything about wine at all, and I I know some of you won't, and that's okay, but if you know anything about it, have you noticed that if it's a really good wine, It has the name of the vine dresser on the bottle. I think that's fascinating. You don't buy potatoes and on the sack it says, Fred did this, you know, you know, it's, but when it comes to wine, so much is invested in the vine dresser. This thing wouldn't be here, but for him and for his know-how. It's not just a name on the bottle. It's got his name. You see? Or you could say that at the end result of vines, the glory of it goes to the vine dresser. Even though the, the root is of vast importance and the soil and the caring and the grape, but when all is said and done, if this man hadn't been there or this woman hadn't been there, there would be nothing. And, and so the, you get the idea. Um, He is saying, now let's, in the light of what I've just said, to give you an idea of what Jesus knew when he was talking about it, everybody in, in Israel had vines, and he is saying his father is the vine dresser. He is the vine. And then in a couple of verses he said, and you are the branches. So now we're getting a sort of cast of characters what's going on in this parable and i say most people think jesus is the vine we are the branches and i say please will you read the scripture there's somebody else here somebody else of supreme importance it is the father is the vine dresser now i don't want you and i I don't want to get off here but i don't want you to think well then that sort of divides up the trinity that well, we've got the Father is the vine dresser, then much less than him is the vine, and then I suppose the Holy Spirit is the one who makes the sap flow, and and, and you've divided up the Trinity. No, um, what is really going on? Let me put it here into one sentence, and then we'll get into the whole thing. What is the intention? This is the most important thing. We've talked about it, but let me really underline it in purple. What is the meaning of you being here? What is the intention behind creation, behind everything that is in creation, and you and I at the peak of creation? What's the why behind it? And I know many people have not even really thought about it, because we have been raised in a, an atheistic society as far as education goes. And we've just been taught it's all chance. Whereas the scripture will have none of that. It says we are here with a meaning. There is a purpose for you to open your eyes in the morning and get out of bed. Behind your being alive there is an intention that is making you alive. And an intention that has an end goal that we're going somewhere with this. And so the intention, if we were to go before creation, before time, we call it eternity. What is eternity? It's very difficult. I'm not going to even try. But just to say eternity is when there is no before and there's no after. There's no was and there's no will be. Eternity is, is, and is now. And when I come into that, if I can even conceive it, there is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, each completely equal, and each in love, love that is beyond our comprehension to know its limitlessness. But love, the Father pours all of himself into the Son, into the Spirit. And the only thing that the Son Spirit is not is that they're not the Father. But the Father gives everything of himself except himself. And the Son gives everything of himself And the Father is everything that the Son is, except He's not the Son. And so you have this total giving, this almost dance of love, in which each gives into the other, and each sustains the other, each nourishes the other. And it is love, and with the love goes unlimited joy, unlimited peace. And it was the will, the intent of that holy three to create And therein is the mystery of all mysteries. All you can say is that love refused to keep love to himself. Love of necessity would give away and therefore he created. That is, he made something that wasn't him. He created And he created solely for the purpose of taking this love which was in the circle of Holy Trinity and now including the creature into that and pouring that love into the creature, the creature being you and me, so that we would be creatures but now included right into the love of the Holy Trinity. And I say that was before there was time, before there was a was or a will be and before and no after, it just is. Which means the decision was made by the creator before you showed up. This is the blueprint. And that means it had nothing to do with what you were going to do with it. Nothing. You couldn't make this happen because it was already decided before you showed up. And you couldn't stop it because you're a pipsqueak human and I'm talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You don't mess with God. This is God's choice. Because now comes the question, and it's a real question. I'm not being hypothetical here. How on earth... Will God love, which is the essence of God? How can that love ever get into the creature? And that's a question that takes 13 hours in the Bible school. But in one sentence, the miracle is God, the Son, is chosen and he chooses himself. For there is no act within the Holy Three that is one and not the others and so he chose he chose to accept you could say and he will be the one God who will become human become the creature and but never cease to be God so he brings the love of God inside the creature and now God knows himself And God also reveals himself through human. So here is God being God through a human, through a human brain, through human emotions, through human imagination. God came in love inside the human and then he poured himself into us. So he who was the first human to be God-human, now, through Holy Spirit, he pours the very life of that one who is Jesus into us. So the Father, Son, and Spirit pour themselves into each other. Now the Son is born human without ever ceasing to be God, his name is Jesus, and the Father pours everything into that human. And now that human, through the cross and resurrection, pours himself into us. That's the intention. That, don't, don't call that deeper life. That's not deeper life. That's 101. That, that's, that's why. That's why you're here. And that's what salvation is all about. You look at me blankly, but that is the truth. This is 101. This is why we're here. This is what salvation is all about. And in this parable that Jesus gives, in which he likens himself to the vine, he is going back to the before time. And in the before time, he is saying he's the true vine. And the Father, summing up the Trinity, chose him. He is the original root. He is the precious vine who will bring to pass this wonder in the human race. He is the vine. And he will be the one to pour himself into the human so that we humans... You know, sometimes when I hear the definition that evangelical has given to grace, it makes my stomach turn. Um, Grace is is put before us as if if God says, You're wretched, you're no good, you're a worthless sinner, but I'll act anyway. Uh, No, the word grace is before time. God is the pouring out of grace and therefore he's not addressing our behavior. He's addressing us as creatures. We didn't ask to be here. He brought us into existence in order to just plain gift us, which means we are worth gifting. It means that he willed and wanted us to be included into his love family. And, and, and Jesus is the choice. He is the choice. Vine is going to be given into the soil of creation to produce us, one with the Father. And again, go back to it, the reason for it all. Vineyard equals make the heart of man glad, rejoice. And if you go back to Luke 2, the Song of the Shepherds, When the first announcement of all of this came to the shepherds, it says, I bring you glad tidings. I bring you news of a great joy. That's the whole idea of salvation. It is joy that is divine joy bursting into the human race. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is parallel to wine and to joy. And it says the Holy Spirit causes our hearts to overflow with joy. And he parallels it to wine as if it fits in that Jesus is come to bring us to the joy of abiding in the love of God exactly as we were created to do. It, it's Now, when, when that happened, when God became one of us, that is, the vine... The root is taking root, which had been the root since before time, but now it's happening. And the Father watches over Jesus, the human. Jesus is God who in humility became one of his own creation. And now the Father is the vine dresser. Reread the life of Jesus with that in mind. The father is watching over. Why does he watch over? Because in humiliation, chosen, the son becomes as weak as we are. He becomes a helpless branch. And therefore, the father must lift him up. The father must direct him. Do do I have to? Maybe we could take a whole hour on that. But Jesus said, I only do what the father shows me to do. I'm dependent on the Father of my own self. I can do nothing. I'm helpless. That's that's amazing. Um, The Father then taught Jesus his identity. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he didn't just come up with that after breakfast. The Father told him that. The Father told him, you are the light of the world. The Father told him he is the good shepherd. The father told, the father teaches him, educates him in the why of his being here. He poured into Jesus his love and his peace, his joy, his wisdom. And again, we could find scriptures to prove that. Jesus, as the human, as the human, now he that as son of God, he has lived face to face with the father. But now he has become a human and he brings that, that humanity to face-to-face with the Father. And that's why Jesus goes into the hills early in the morning, sometimes all night, to be with the Father face-to-face. He didn't go with a shopping list of requests. He goes just to be face-to-face with the Father, to know and be known. He had this seamless, simultaneous union with the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He didn't say he was the Father. He said, if you've seen me, there's a me there, that's Jesus. But he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And again, as I've said, everything he did, what was entwined with the Father, when everybody forsook him, he said, I'm not alone. The Father is with me, with me, face to face with me. That the word could be used almost braided together, a shared life. He spoke here in this chapter of himself abiding in the Father. He said, "It's the Father that brings me. It's the Father that strengthens me. It's the Father that produces the end result in me." I. I he's the vine dresser. Jesus, if I dare say it like this, Jesus couldn't have made it without the Father. Do, do you understand I know that for some this is difficult because you've been taught by religion that the Father is mean, ugly. You know, the Father is the one who is supposed to have killed his own son. I, I, I could never trust a, God, a Father like that. Um and, and And then I've I heard I was raised with it, you know they said, they said, "Don't ever want to do anything too strongly because God will take it away from you. Um, boy, that makes you want to trust him, doesn't it? Um, that really excites you to love him. Um, he's the great spoil sport, he's the party pooper supreme, and here I'm saying that he is the vine dresser that Jesus never would have done what he did without the Father continually strengthening, upholding him. In fact, you would have to say that even as the vine dresser nourishes the plant, he nourishes the vine and the grapes, that um, you, you, you could say very easily that the Father nourished the Father nourished Jesus as the vine. And the word nourish, we touched on it last week. It, it means to, to touch. You nourish a baby by holding the baby, and the baby will die if you don't touch the baby. That's nourishing. Nourishing is the food that's always there. It's watching over. It's caring for. It's, it's not only feeding, but it's protecting Protecting, encouraging, that's nourishing. Uh, A parent nourishes a child, draws out the child to its fullest potential. Uh, As as you educate the child, you, you teach everything to the child that will enhance the growth and bring it to its identity, bring to full potential. It's interesting, the word nurture and nourish comes from a Latin word, which means to suck at the breast, it means to suckle like a baby. That's the meaning of the word. And from that, we get a nutrient and nutritious, and also, I don't know if you, the word nurse and nursing. And so, God the Father, like a vine dresser, nurses the vine to bring it to its potential. In fact, it really comes to a head where we were last week where the father, the father, said to the son who now has become one of us, do you remember he spoke out of the sky and said, "This is my son, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased, which means I'm delighted it's did you see the vine dresser now has this, the, the vine is now growing it, it, it's, it's becoming what he always knew it would and he celebrates this is my vine he could almost say my beloved if you get around these vine dresses that's almost how they treat their plants um i'm well pleased and we saw that word beloved i want to underscore it because we don't use it too much um the focus of love When we say love, that can be a very ethereal, floating kind of word. Beloved means you are the focus of my love. So the word means much loved. It means dearly loved. It means dear to the heart. Actually, it's connected with the word darling, which means my only one. It's it's much liked. It's a deep friendship that is much loving. Much loving. It's all those words. It's tender love. It's the one that has been chosen um, above others. It's my beloved. And it's the one who is loved, desired, longed for. All those ideas come into this word beloved. It's a person of great value. A worth has been placed upon and esteemed worthy of love there's no idea that i think you're a stinking wretch but i love you it's i mean that's ridiculous to say that but that of course is where the church is in many times it, it beloved underscores union with the lover and of course when you are the beloved it means that you are very sure of, of love you're not hoping that you're loved You're not going around wondering if you're going to lose favor overnight. You're not always frighteningly looking at the person who says they love you. No. Beloved means you are secure. You know you're included. You know that you belong. You're in a shared life. You're protected and provided for. That's what the word means. And The father looked at his son. Who now has become human and in the language of this parable has become the vine. The Father says, My son, my beloved, I'm delighted in you. Okay, do you get that? There's one thing we left out. (laughs) There's no vine without branches. Uh, if you've ever seen a vine, so you can see a tree, and there's the trunk of the tree and the branches, and actually you can cut off the branches, and the tree is still there. But it would be very difficult to cut off the branches of the vine and have anything left. The, the vine really is the branches, they're, they're not an add on extra the vintner doesn't plant the vine and then go to home depot to buy some branches and i'm being stupid but i want you to feel the stupidity of the thought that it's not add-on if you have a vine you have branches you can't have it any other way nor did the branches have any choice about being there he doesn't go to a branch depot and say i'm giving an invitation who'll be the first to come forward and become one of my branches um (laughs) stupid of course it is what many people call the gospel is stupid it's this is the fact you've got the root you've got the vine but part of that root are the branches and yet at the same time the branches are not the root but you can't have the root without the branches are in that root to begin with and so when the vine dresser chooses the root, he's choosing the branches at the same time, but not as things that lay over here and lay over there. He's choosing the branches as those that are already in the root. And they will, do, do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. But I want you to understand. You see, he's not saying, "I'm the true vine here, and you're the branches over there." That's stupid, impossible. Well, then let's apply that logic to this parable. Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. My father watches over me. But then he rapidly goes on to say, you are the branches, which means as he watches over me, he watches over you. He can't watch over me without watching over you. He can't talk to me without talking to you. You are absolutely one. That's you, you see. And that is why you're here. That's why you're created. And it tells us, Ephesians 1 and verse 3, tells us plainly, before the foundation of the world, he put you into Christ and your histories became joined. And his history is your history, and in the miracle of grace, he made your history his history, so that his history might become yours. And I know who I'm talking to. None of you have circles of light around your head. And if I were to take the lid of everyone that's listening to me right now we would soar a sea a seething mass of pain and abuse and frustration and dead ends and brokenness. We're all here. But that's the point. He chose us, and that is what carries us through, that we're not here by accident. We're, we're, we're not the roll of a dice. We're, we're not just a seed that happened on the world. This is the vine dresser of vine dressers who chose the root of all root and chose you and I as the branches of the root of all root. Where there is vine, there's always branches, and when you've found the branch, you've found the vine. It's the way it is. they're not separate entities. They don't have an independent existence. Anybody, I think, you don't have to be into wine growing to know this. Uh, they, They don't have a separate mission. Whatever the vine is, the branches are. Where the branches are, the vine is. Where the vine is, the branches are. They are absolutely one. That Their very meaning, their existence as branches is the end goal of the vine because it's on the branches that the grapes grow. So that's what vineyards are all about. So branches are vital. They don't go to the branches, you poor, pathetic, weak thing. I have to put up with you. No, that's the—they lift the branches because that's where the grapes are going to be, which is what the vine is all about, which is what the vintner is all about. It all ends up on the branches. Amazing. And, and as I say, you can't tell me the difference between the vine and the branches, even though there is. But you—you you show me where it is. The. And and that's what Jesus calls abiding, as surely as the branch is in the vine. Do you, do you understand me? The branch is in the vine, but being in the vine, it's essentially part of the vine. Yet, I have to say, it isn't the vine, and the vine isn't the branch. And yet, they are so cl- they have a mutual indwelling where the branch is there the vine is and all that the vine is is in the branch and all that the vine is in the branch is what the branch brings forth it it is that's and I use the same words that the branch abides in the vine which means it's simultaneous can you get this simultaneous that the branch doesn't say oh you know help me to, to become a good vine a good branch help help me to produce. or don't don't know you. There's no sweat to being a branch. You use a branch, and it's simultaneous. All that the vine is is in the branch, and it produces fruit. That's the way. There, there's an entwining. The the two are one. And what this is saying. And please hear me, this is not deeper life. This is the gospel that should have been taught you the day you woke up to Jesus, that the whole meaning of salvation is that you are united in Christ so that his history is your history, and his history is yours. It's in, in, in. That's all Jesus said. In that day you shall know that I am in you. And you are in me. And I am in the Father. It's, we have been caught up into that relationship with the Father. He said, as I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me, and I'm in you, and you're in me, we're all. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus, that's the end goal. That's what it's all about simultaneous seamless union entwined because we're entwined with Jesus and he's entwined with the father and the spirit then we are we are sharing in that relationship that is in the holy trinity and i haven't become jesus and i haven't become the father or the spirit but i am sharing in it to the point where it's okay sometimes to forget it because it's so natural, it's so real. It's, it's a real thing. In fact, that is what is meant by in the name of Jesus. Uh, we've talked about it sometimes, you know. People use that in the name of Jesus almost like uh, abracadabra in the end, you know, um, or sort of the thing you say at the end of prayer to let everybody know you've quit. Um, it's well seriously it's but in the name of Jesus in a sense you don't have to say it in the name of Jesus means that you are living in who Jesus is his person is in you and therefore when you live he lives where you are he is where he is you are we live in the name of Jesus and so it's an amazing thing, but from before the beginning of creation, when this was all blueprint, the original intention, and now is, is that we should never, we should never be separated from the Trinity. You should never be separated from the Father because you are as present to the Father as Jesus is. And you are in the Holy Spirit who makes this real. And therefore, the purpose of God is that you'd never be separated from the Trinity. Or as I've said before, God refuses to be God without you. That's that's what it is. Um, God will not be God. Jesus will not be Jesus without us. Any more than a vine can be a vine stripped of its branches. That's who you are. That's who you are. Meet yourself. Say hello. It's who you are. You you are not what you do. Please don't tell me that you are an accountant or a contractor. No, that's what you do. Who are you? You are what I have just said. You are a branch in union with the vine. You are not what you have. Please forget your bank account. We're not talking about that. You are not what others say about you doesn't matter what anyone says about you whether it's good or bad because their opinion is, is so ridiculously limited it doesn't count and most importantly you're not what you say about yourself because we have got this very low opinion of ourselves that we've been taught down through the ages no you are God's beloved he nourishes you the same as he nourishes Jesus, for you are one with him. That's who you are. Our identity is seeing ourselves through God's eyes. Really, we should say a lot more about that. But this is being the beloved. It's the Holy Spirit implanting, pouring the love life that came to the human in Jesus. Or to put it another way, pouring the love life of the vine into the branches in which the branch knows they're included, knows that they belong, know that they share the belovedness of the vine cared for by the Father. And then through the branch comes the end goal of the grapes and the wine. Amazing. I have to say it again. The Father nurtures you. The Father calls you beloved exactly as he does with Jesus. For you, by the Father's will, which is will of the Son and will of the Spirit together, is that is what being human is all about. And so let me say it again, he hovers over you. I'll even say this, he dotes over you. You know, I, I, I have to say, because it's, it's a strong word I'm looking for. Um, he cares for you. That has tremendous depth to it, but is a casual word these days. He strengthens you. And it's not because you screamed at him and begged and pleaded as if he didn't want to do it. He takes the initiative. The 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 wine, vine dresser doesn't wait for the the plant to wilt before he deals with it. He he's on the side. God's on your side. And and we were talking just a little while ago um, how if if you go. Um, to many churches right within a hundred mile of where I'm sitting. But by noon today, you probably will think you've dropped out of God and now you're going to get saved all over again because this miserable father, this creature that you call God is forever finding an opportunity to get rid of you. He He's eternally annoyed with you. and And is that the meaning of life? Is so that what God wanted? He created you so that it upset him for the rest of eternity. Um, please, I, I'm not joking here, though it is so ridiculous we might smile at it as we cry. It's, he's on your side. The Father loves you as he loves Jesus. He cares for you as he cared for Jesus. If he spared not his own son, how shall he not with him freely give you all things? This is the Father. He nourishes us, watches over. He protects us. He's fascinated with you as you develop as a branch to produce the fruit. Ah. And of course, everything I said about beloved, he says about you he said it of jesus and he says it of you is this how you view him that he looks at you and he says you are my beloved you are my son my daughter i am delighted in you well he is that's what it is that is that is and of course the existence of the branch is to bear fruit now, I was raised to believe that bearing fruit was soul winning. Uh, you had to go. Have you ever been through that? Being, a, being the gigantic pest of the neighborhood. Um, going out to mug all your neighbors and try and get them to sign the card. and Ghastly. By the grace of God, I never got involved in that. They thought I just wasn't dedicated enough, but I couldn't. I couldn't go banging on people's doors on Sunday afternoon when they're trying to take a nap. And what? What was your message? You're going to hell. That's right. <laughs> I took sleep for my eyes. But um, anyway, soul winning is not the fruit. C- can you cleanse your mind of that? Because it really messes it up. The fruit, the end goal, the reason of the Father choosing the root, the reason for watching over the vine, the reason for watching over you, the branch, is that you should love one another as I have loved you. That's where it is right in that chapter. That's the fruit. That's the end goal, that that love... That unbeginning in the Holy Trinity is now inside of you and it comes out through you to love one another. That's a radical new reality. And to that end it says the Father prunes the vine. And well you know what pruning is. Pruning is because you love the tree. You prune because you're on the side of the tree. There's all this dead wood. Oh, this wood is too big and it's taken all the, It's going nowhere. You, you, if you love a tree, you prune it. I I was raised, you know, to, to believe that God would take things away from you just because, well, that was the mean kind of creature he was. Uh, and he got certain kick out of that so that you're reduced to being miserable, wearing early Salvation Army in the thrift and Now you really must be spiritual because God took everything away from you. Uh, What kind? uh, that, That reminds me of what I heard from witch doctors in Africa. That's the kind of God they worship. God you're terrified of. God is mean, taking everything away from you. No, pruning is God being on your side. To bring you to the ultimate meaning of your existence. And so what does he prune out of you? Everything that is the darkness of not love. So what goes? Bitterness. Envy. What goes? Screaming, shouting so they hear you down the street. That's not because he hates you. It's because he loves you. He, he, he delivers us from everything in our life that is twisted and distorted and turning inward to self, which is going to destroy you. He prunes us in order to bring about love. Have you ever thought of this, that when you present the gospel, this is what you're presenting. No, presenting the gospel today especially in the Western world, is really, it's the most selfish thing. It's all about personal. I mean, personal in the sense that it's me and not you. Uh, It's isolated. I really don't care about you. It's a behavior change, uh, sort of. It's more morality than what I've just said. It's not. But, But the whole thing is so that, you you have some kind of acceptance after you die, and so the whole emphasis is on about after you die. What's going to happen after you die? Are you ready to die? And, and um, that's self-serving. Yeah, I mean it's all about. I, I I don't want to, you know. I I want to go to this sort of heaven. I don't know what it because what mansions over hilltops and strange place but um as you know you you won't find i if, if you think i'm wrong read the entire new testament you fi- won't find a word of that there and when you go witnessing it is to try and persuade this other person to join you in this self-serving pursuit and um no the gospel is that you are awakening people to the meaning of life which is to love one another wow what 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 a what a yeah so the fruit the fruit of the vine the purpose of god's vine is that the love i am now receiving is now shared with everyone in my path so is it doesn't even bother to think of a worldwide mission just your little world where you find yourself that's fantastic place to have a vineyard and to produce and let them taste of the grapes in fact in the new testament they called each other beloved that's amazing how can you call other people beloved especially those that are close to you I find it very easy to love all the people in Australia. Um, never met them, <laughs> never touched them. It's easy to love them. But the closer to home you get, the more difficult it is to call them beloved. What? Well, what does that mean in plain English? It means that I see others through God's eyes. Don't rush with that. I see others through God's eyes, and I see others as God intended them to be. It is also honoring others, all others, all others, recognizing their worth to God. And if you've understood the incarnation just for a few minutes, you were so valued by God that it was worth God becoming human and staying human for forever in order to bring you home. Or The parable, it was worth the shepherd going into the wilderness to get the sheep because the sheep was of such value even though it was acting like an idiot. But, the value was still there. That's what I mean, that you highly value every other human, wherever you find them. You see them as God sees them. You see the intention of God for them. And how do you do that? By seeing yourself through God's eyes, through realizing your value that he has placed upon you. And you pass it on. So it says, we love because he first loved us. Our love for one another originates in God's love for us. I cannot love you until I realize the love of God for me. Therefore, love one another as I have loved you. That comes first. And we pass it on you don't pass it on with one great big act it's passed on with little words attitudes passing comments an underlying compassion in the way you look at each other love you see is a verb meaning love is something you do I know that's hard in today's world where we think it's something you feel but love in the Bible, means something you do. People say, you know, nobody loves me. Where on earth did you get the idea they were supposed to? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? No. That's, that's not where it begins. You do love. And you do it aggressively. Aggressively. You don't wait for someone to love you so you can love them back. Love is not a response to someone who says nice things to you. I should have started here. <laughs> but it is true. It is the choice. And hear me, I'm as serious as I've ever been preaching Um. Love is, as I say, not a response to something people say or do. Rather, it's the choice in the light of how I've seen myself. That's big. In a response to how I see myself in the eyes of God, I now make the choice to look through as believers who are the grapes in this scenario. We look through the words of anger and the petty words that are hurled at us and the actions meant to hurt us. We look through it to the heart of a very broken person who would act like that. And we love them. And we see with God's eyes that person, a broken heart, And we think of them with God's thoughts about them. We choose to. It's a choice. You choose to imagine God loving that person, and loving them in you and through you. And when you speak of them, sometimes you hold your tongue just to speak with the choice of speaking of them as God sees them. It's a matter of seeing through that mountain of pain that the persons are in. And of course, as I said, if we could take the lid off this audience, you would see the pain. We're all there. We're all there. And we say things out of pain. We say things out of rejection. And this is someone who believes how God sees you more than how you are portraying yourself. I know that God in Christ has joined us in our darkness. He's joined us in our meanness. He's joined us in our stupidity. He's joined us in our unlove. And right there is where he loved us or revealed his love and brought us out. And our words opened their eyes If it isn't immediately, it will. It will. That's what we're here for, to open their eyes. It will build up their faith sooner or later. But it will also do the same thing for you. This is... You see, there's many scriptures, and I've always threatened to preach on them, we understand this good news by giving it away and if you don't give it away you don't understand it you know in in the prayer that we pray every sunday forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and and that request is not asking god to forgive us primarily because that's dealt with anyway What it is, is what I'm talking about. Hear me carefully now. When you forgive someone of a great harm they have done to you, in that moment you understand how God has forgiven you. You withhold forgiveness and you'll go around in circles for the rest of your life wondering if God has forgiven you. We understand what he's done for us by doing the same to others. Love one another as I have loved you. How do you know of God's love? You know it to the extent you've applied it to your life. If God is love, if he has loved me in Christ, if he has forgiven me in Christ, that's not an intellectual belief. It's a motive of doing that I now go to forgive the person, to love the unlovely, to treat them as God has treated me. And what happens? Yeah, now I get it. Now I plumb the depths of God's forgiveness to me. Now I know how much he loves me, but I discovered that in giving it away to somebody else. I don't know if that makes sense, but... But that's what it's all about and of course the only identifying mark of a believer is being a branch by this said Jesus in this, he was talking in this same conversation by this by this shall all men know that you are my disciples ok whatever he's going to say then Jesus is giving permission permission To the world to say this is the mark you can look for. If you don't find it, you haven't found one of my disciples. This is the mark. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. That's it. I hear so much from people, you know, that they want to produce, they want to do miracles to prove that, that they're sort of on the inside line. I, I believe in miracles. I really do. But there's not a mark. Let me let me say that again. This is needs more time. But the, you can find wonderful works, dark, dark but wonderful works, in in, in satanic. Witch doctors. If that's what you're looking for, and this is the danger because I know pastors who have crossed that line, they'll do anything to get power. That's not a mark of a believer. Actually, Satan's really into power. No, but you'll never find anybody in the darkness able to love one another. Loving one another is greater than raising the dead. It's greater than feeding the 5,000. It's greater than walking on the water. And so you say, I'm a, I'm a, I, I, I've read the Bible through in a year. Well, good. <laughs> that only takes speed reading. Um, <laughs> and I'm serious. I am serious. I'm only interested if you love as Jesus loves you that's the mark not reading through the bible that might be a jolly good idea but it's not the mark you know i prayed all night well good it's not the mark the only mark that Jesus gave to identify a believer is what is the end of Him, the Father's end game. What's the goal? To produce grapes that make the wine, which may glad the heart of man. And what Jesus then says, what's the end goal of this vine that comes from heaven and you, the divine branches? It is that you love. That's the grapes hanging on the vine, that you love one another. And to make any other end goal, the goal is to miss the gospel altogether. Totally. Well, there it is. Some is. (laughs) My father is the husbandman. He's the vine dresser. I am the true vine, but there's no vine without you, the branches. And Jesus is God who has given Himself away forever to be joined to you and you to Him. And when you wake up to that, you'll naturally produce the fruit, which is the love of God poured out in you, through you, into the little world that you call home. So, Father, these words are too big, too amazing, too wonderful. We ask again, Holy Spirit, you who specifically are designated to reveal to us what eyes have not seen and ears have not heard, what has never entered into the heart of man. It's been given to you to teach us that. And what we have said this morning is that teach it to us speak it to us in the depth of our heart tear down all the nonsense that we put up instead of this and let us come to what you call the gospel and let this week, this month, this year be the opening up of a radical adventure of loving one another as you love us Amen Amen And amen.